Well, I want us to look in Luke this morning. It's no surprise, is it? Luke chapter 2. And uh, we're going to start reading in verse 1. We're going to read about the birth of Jesus, and then we're going to read about the birth announcement. You know, usually you get a birth announcement after a birth. We get those every once in a while in our house. We'll get a piece of mail announcing the birth of a baby. And so we're going to look at the birth announcement. But let's read about the birth. So we're going to read beginning in chapter 2, verse 1. Very familiar passage. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration. A registration when Quirinius was governor <coughs> of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now that's the story of the birth of Jesus. It's amazing how compact it is, isn't it? It's in a historical period of time. The Bible does, you know... uh, Christianity is anchored in history. It's anchored in true, actual history. And Luke, the writer of this gospel, wanted to make clear that we understood the specific time and he even identified when Quirinius was governor of Syria and things like that. And it was a time when the first census was taken, the Roman census, and Caesar Augustus had ordered that all of the world should be registered for taxation purposes And Joseph and his wife, Mary, traveled uh, seven hours or longer. I mean, uh, well, it would have been at least, no, it was longer than that. It's about 70 miles from uh, uh, Nazareth down to Bethlehem. So they traveled and went to be registered. And while she was there, Uh, We always anticipate, or I have the idea that as they were arriving in Bethlehem, she realized that it was time for her baby to be born. And they tried to find a place where they could give birth to this baby, and there was no place, no room in any of the dwelling places, any of the inns in uh, Jerusalem, in Bethlehem. So uh, she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, a feeding trough in a stable where animals were gathered around, more than likely. And that's the way Jesus came into this world. What a humble beginning. One of the songs that we sing nowadays, a popular song called What a Strange Way to Save the World. And really, when you think about the Son of God 
coming into this world, you would expect, you know, normally from our human perspective, that he would be born in a, a plush place, maybe in a palace. But just the opposite took place. He was born in a stable and wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a feeding trough, a manger, for his bed. Now, the next verses tell us about the birth announcement. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they, this is an understatement, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Well, there's so much in that one verse. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased, or with those who have found favor in his eyes. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph, and they found the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this uh, uh, simple, concise, and yet so rich passage of Scripture. Just 20 verses, and yet uh, a multitude of sermons could be preached from it. And I just pray that today you will help us to see something in this passage that will remind us of your great love for us and to be able to know that Christ, the Savior, was born. In Jesus' name, amen. Shepherds in that day and time were the lowest on the strata of the social ladder. They were so low that they were not even allowed to testify in court. They were like, in some cultures today, they were like gypsies. They were considered uh, uh, dishonest and dirty, and many times were dirty. In fact, 
they were not allowed to enter the temple. Other Jewish men could enter the temple, but shepherds were not allowed to enter the temple. They could go into the court of the people, but not into the, into the uh, inner court where other Jewish men could go. They were the, the, what we would say today, the lowest strata of society. I think it's significant, very meaningful, that it was to shepherds that the first birth announcement was made. You know, you would think that just six miles to the north of Bethlehem was the city of Jerusalem. And there in that city of Jerusalem, it was filled with important people. Priests were there. The high priest was there. The governor was there. Pontius Pilate was there. Probably Herod was there at this particular season of the year. It was filled with important people. And it would seem logical that it would be to those important people that God would send the announcement, my son has been born. There is born today a Savior who is Christ the Lord. But it wasn't to important people. It was to the lowly people, the, low, the, the most lowly people that this announcement was made. What does that do for you? Does that, um, we're not lowly. We're, we're significant people. Most of us are at least average income people. We have sufficient to take care of our needs. We don't think of ourselves as rich by any means, but compared to all the people in the world, we really are rich. And uh, we live in a, a free country. We live in a, a safe country. And in many ways, we are not low on the social strata. When I go to Walmart, folks say howdy to me. They're friendly to me. They, uh, they don't back away from me like uh, they do from certain people in the culture. I see some people in various places that you can tell that just because they're dirty and poor and maybe homeless, that they just get passed by. They just get passed by. We don't get passed by. But shepherds did. And it was to that lowly group that God said, when I make my birth announcement, I'm going to make it to shepherds. Out on the hillside. Now these were they were shepherds, but they were in a sense special shepherds in the fact that they were raising Bethlehem sheep. Bethlehem is just uh, actually, if you go to Israel today, you just you don't even <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like going from here to Grand Prairie. You you just you're in town the whole time. But there was about a five-mile gap between Jerusalem and Bethlehem in that particular day. And in Bethlehem, that's where they raised the sheep that were used for sacrifice. And so these shepherds 
were shepherds that took care of sheep, lambs that were going to be offered in atonement and sacrifice in the temple just a few miles away. And so they're familiar with uh, uh, the purpose of lambs. And when they would have a, a new lamb, they would wrap it up in what they called swaddling cloths, and they would nurture it and take care of it and prepare it to be a sacrificial animal. So it's to these shepherds, Bethlehem shepherds, that the angels come. I think it's uh, interesting, as I read through the whole Bible, I find that God really, really loves poor people. In fact, one of the chief complaints of the prophets was that the people neglected the poor, that they took care of themselves, they took care of the rich, but they bypassed the poor people. In Luke chapter 1, verses 51 through 53, the Bible says, He hath shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and he has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty. It's kind of uncomfortable for me when I read all the things in the Bible that it says about the rich and the poor. There are dangers that the rich have that the poor may not have. We read of a rich man and Lazarus, a poor beggar, and it should convict us to some degree. It should make us think when we see those in our culture, those in our society who are poor, that we dare not pass them by. We dare not overlook those in need. Because the Bible says the rich he sent away empty but the hungry he is filled with good things God has always had a special affection for those who have little affection from other people listen to this passage in Isaiah chapter 66 verses 1 and 2 thus says the Lord Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. So God says, you know where I live? I live in heaven. I made the world. I live in a place where I need nothing. But there is one other place where God says he lives. And look at the next verse. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. 
I believe that when God got ready to send the birth announcement of his son, he said, I'm looking for people who are humble in spirit, who are contrite in heart, who are poor in the eyes of the world, who are pushed aside, marginalized, pushed to the edge. And those are the people that I'm going after with my announcement. And then the central focus of this passage is that verse that says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So the we see the expanse of it, the size of it. This birth of Jesus is for all the people in all the world. It's not just for the Jewish people. It's not just for the priestly class. It is for all the people. That's the reason, by the way, that we do world missions is because we believe that Jesus came to be a Savior for all the nations, all the people groups in the world. But then he says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Yes, he's come for all people, but I want you to know he's come for you, for unto you, and you, and you is born this day a Savior who is Christ, Messiah, the Lord. This word Lord identifies him as the as Yahweh as as God unto you is born this day a savior who is Christ the Lord now all that I've said is kind of introduction I want my, my message shorter message is I see in this five things that are kind of an illustration of how anybody come, becomes a Christian. First of all, there is revelation that comes to us of our need and of, of Christ. These shepherds would have had no idea that a baby was being born in Bethlehem if the angels hadn't come and said, there is a baby in Bethlehem lying in a manger who is the Savior. And do you know that you would never ever have known that Jesus was the Savior if God had not revealed that to you? You would have been totally unaware. I mean, you know, there are people today who are singing songs, Christmas songs, but they have no idea that a Savior has been born for them. And uh, the way anybody becomes a Christian does not start in here. It starts in heaven. And God reveals to me my need of a Savior. These shepherds, the first thing that happened is that God revealed this truth to them they would have never figured it out and people today will never figure out 
salvation apart from God's initiation, God's revelation. And that was the first thing. And then the second thing is they received that truth. They actually believed it. We know they believed it because they said to one another, let's go and see this thing that's been shown to us. And when you became a Christian, God revealed to you your need and his sufficient sacrifice, but you then said, I accept it. I receive it. I believe it. And that's when you became a Christian. Those are the two things. That's the two steps in a way to becoming a Christian. Number one is the revelation of your need and of Christ is sufficient for, as a Savior, and then your receiving of it. Most religions in the world, well, all religions in the world today, other than Christianity, teaches that the way you appease God is by measuring up to some standard or some level of activity or sacrifice or or behavior or something like that. Just like we saw in the video earlier, this girl saying, well, my understanding of God is, before she became a Christian, my understanding of God is that I have to do things to please him and not do things that displease him, and then maybe he'll love me. That's... That's the religion of the world today. But the message of Christianity is exactly the opposite of that. It is that God loves you so much that he sent his son that if you will believe in him, not perform for him, not, uh, not please him, but receive him, then you will be saved. And these shepherds, they, they had the revelation of truth, and then they received it and believed it, and then they rejoiced in it. Uh, Stephanie jokingly talked about how that uh, we're as... Baptists, we're a little more reserved maybe than uh, some groups today. I kind of hate that. I think it'd be kind of funny every once in a while if just some spontaneous joy broke out among us and we acted almost silly. <laughs> now, I don't mean completely silly, but I mean almost silly. Because when you have good news and you realize that it is for you that Christ came, there should be rejoicing. These shepherds went away rejoicing that they had seen this baby. I heard about a farmer back in Tennessee years and years and years ago who was uh, always plowing with his mule out in the field and He'd come to church on Sunday, and he would get so excited when the preacher would preach about salvation, and he would get to shouting and uh, kind of embarrass some of the folks. And as the church began to get a little bit more sophisticated, they didn't know what they were going to do about this man. And uh, so they had a meeting, which is what 
Baptists do a lot of times. They had a meeting, and they said, well, we'll put together a committee, and we'll decide what to do about uh, Uncle Fred. And so they decided that somebody would just need to go talk to him. And so they went out to his field, and he's walking behind his mule, plowing. You girls and boys don't know what that is to plow behind a mule, but the used to they didn't have tractors and they had mules that would pull the plow and you'd have to hold that plow and plow a straight line and they came up to him and greeted him and he greeted them he was surprised to see a delegation from his church coming out to his field while he was plowing and they said well uh uncle fred we've got a little problem we need to talk to you about he said well what is it they said, well, you know, in church on Sundays, you get so happy and you get to shouting and it's just kind of embarrassing some of the folks, especially visitors who come, they don't understand it. And we're just wondering if you could maybe calm down a little bit. He said, well, I, I guess I can try. But he said, you know, when I get to thinking about the fact that I was just a terrible, awful sinner and I was on my way to hell and God loved me so much that he sent his own son who suffered and died on a cross and was buried and then he rose again from the grave. He said, here, hold my mules. I got to shout. And he just got to shouting right there in the field. I tell you what, there are a lot of times when I get to thinking about it like that, I want somebody to hold my mules too. And I just feel like, you know, these shepherds, when they saw and knew that these angels, that in itself was amazing, but that that angels had announced to them the birth of a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and then they go and they find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, they went away rejoicing rejoicing and then the fourth thing is they just had to tell somebody it says that they went out and they began to tell other people what they had seen they uh it says and they when they saw it they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child they just couldn't keep their mouth shut Today, why is it so hard for us to talk to people about Jesus? Why is it? Why is it uh, challenging to us to talk to people about Jesus? Why do you think? What's, 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 I don't have any trouble talking to people about my wife. I say, well, we've been married so many years, and just saying, you know, I tell, tell about my wife. That's, or my children, my grandchildren, my great grandchildren. We have any trouble about that, do we? Or, uh, even our sports team. If the Cowboys ever start winning again, it'll be uh, it'll just be easy for people. You know, in the grocery store, 
People say, well, how about them cowboys? They didn't say it last week, but they, they, they might say it this week. Man, what do you think about the cowboys? Well, how about those Texas Rangers? Well, that's another story too, isn't it? But uh, it's, it's pretty easy for us to talk about things we're excited about. Well, nothing is, is, is as exciting as Jesus. So why do we find it more difficult to talk about him than we do? Why? All right, we're afraid we might offend somebody, especially nowadays. That's, you know, almost anything offends somebody today, doesn't it? But if you talk about Jesus, I guarantee you'll offend some people. And I think there's just a satanic opposition to it. I think the devil wants to keep us quiet about it. And then there's just the natural uh, reticence to, you know, what did they say? Two things you don't talk about is religion and politics. But what if we don't think of Jesus as religion or politics? We think of him as a savior who is Christ the Lord. And we just talk about him to other people. By the way, next Sunday, maybe the most important message I've brought in a long time in this church, I want to talk to you about our church. And uh, the health of it and the vision for next year. I sure hope you'll be here next Sunday. So these shepherds, they had the revelation of from the angels. They had the received it. They believed it. And they were rejoicing. They went about telling others. And then it says, And Mary kept all these things in her heart, pondering them in her heart. And that's just reflecting on the truth. We'd call it meditating, maybe. Just thinking about it. What we think about shapes what we become. You know that. What occupies your mind the most has the greatest effect in shaping the direction of your life. One of my favorite stories by Nathaniel Hawthorne is called The Great Stone Face. Nathaniel Hawthorne is my favorite American author. And there's the story of this boy growing up in this town and just outside the town, just above, just within view of the town, there was on the side of the mountain a face, a great stone face, kind of like Mount Rushmore, it was natural. And everybody in the town were so intrigued with that face. And they would look at it and they would say, wow, maybe someday the person who actually has the great stone face will come to our town. And there were two or three charlatans who came, and the story goes, but this one boy, he just 
every day he would go out and just look at the great stone face and he would dream of the time when that person would arrive and it's a longer story than I'm making it but one day he's walking down the street and somebody says look it's the man with the great stone face and he looked behind him to see who it was they said no no it's you you have become the man with the great stone face. And the Bible tells us that we look into the face of Jesus, and as we are beholding him, we become like him. And I would just urge you to not just receive the gospel and rejoice in the gospel and share the gospel but reflect on the gospel day after day after day after day and as you do you yourself will become transformed conformed into the image of the one you're reflecting on let's pray heavenly father I thank you for this birth announcement to these lowly shepherds. I thank you for the fact that you gave them good news of great joy for all people because Christ the Lord, the Savior, was born. And I pray that you'll help us 2,000 years later to hear the same announcement from your word that there was for us, for you, a Savior has been born. And I pray that you will help us to receive it, to rejoice in it, to share it with others, and then let it become the basis of our daily reflection as we think about your great love for us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.